Thank you for this evening that we have to look at your word. We ask for your guiding and leading as we examine your word and show us what you would want us to see from this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 2. Hmm? Oh. <laughs> okay. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Remember you the kindness of your youth and the love of your espousal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruit of her, his increase. All that devour him were, shall offend Evil shall come upon them, says the Lord. So I want to start with here. With, remember that Jeremiah is preaching. At this time, he's prophesying to the wicked kings. He started for the first couple years of his ministry with a great king, and then every other king was bad. So most of everything he's talking about is always to the evil kings. And he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry to the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. So this is his statement. This is what God is saying. All right? Uh, powerful statement. I, I'm not too many times can I, in my lifetime can I remember ever really being sure enough to say, Thus saith the Lord, unless I'm quoting something that is very scriptural. Uh, but here is his saying, Thus saith the Lord, Remember you. And this idea of remembering to recall. You know, God keeps telling the people of Israel, remember. Re remember. And he's going to tell them what he wants them to remember in this case. But God is telling us all the time, remember. And why does he tell man to remember? Because man has short memories. We always end up forgetting the good more than remembering what God has done. And so here he's telling them, remember the kindness of your youth and the love of your espousal, of, of your, your groom. And so he's bringing them back to when God rescued them from Egypt. And he's saying, remember those days. Remember when you first fell in love with me and you followed after me. And this is something that humans do with God. It's what humans do with each other. You know, many people, that, when they've been married for a long time, forget why they got married, forget the love. All they start you know, looking at is all their complaints about their spouse. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, they do different things that bug them and, and irritate them. And here he's saying, remember what it was in the beginning. Remember how much you were loved and how you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. So God says, remember when you were delivered and we wandered in the wilderness. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that God is saying, remember these events, because this was a pinnacle point for Israel. God delivered them from Egypt with great and mighty works. He fed them in the wilderness. He gave them water in the wilderness. He led them in the wilderness. And what was their response? They grumbled and complained and argued and, and, and went against him everywhere. But God is saying, remember what has happened in the past, how much I cared for you. 
And over and over again, Israel is going to go through this cycle of where is the God that did these things? All through the book of Judges, they did the same thing. Where's the God that took us out of Egypt? Where's the God that tore down Jericho? Where's the God that did this? Where's the God? We haven't seen anything God is doing for us lately. And God constantly says, remember what has been done. And when remembering what has been done, we will start to remember what is being done. And this is the greatest thing. The more we can remember God's mercy and his benefits on us, the more we start seeing what he's currently doing for us. And it's a wonderful step. You know, I've told you one song I like to sing is Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God has done, but not only what he has done, but what he is doing. The more we start focusing on what God does, the more we start focusing on what he is doing. And this is some of the advice people get when they're married. You know, focus on what, why you got, why you fell in love. Why did you love that person? And then you start realizing that they really haven't changed as much as you think they have. Their things aren't as bad as you're trying to believe that they are. And so here God is saying, remember what it was like when you were in, when you followed after me in the wilderness, when you followed after in a land that was not sown. When they were wandering in the wilderness, they did not plant fields. They did not harvest, harvest anything. God had to feed them. And he did. Every morning there was manna on the ground. Every evening there were quail. And there was the rock. And it's quite interesting when you read it carefully. It says the rock that followed them <laughs> that gave water. Which is Jesus, but you know, it's Moses. Moses struck the rock, and and if you read carefully, the rock follows after them. It's like God moves this rock wherever they go to give them water. And you want to talk about miracles? <laughs> it's very interesting, just the way it words it. And so we want to be understanding that God has things in store for us, and how easy it is to forget it. Because the people of Israel, after forty years, started taking manna for granted. It's there every morning. We're, we wake up, go get our manna, and, and eat all day. We go out in the evening, and the quail fly at, at, at just the right height to, to be able to catch and be taken down. And they had manna and quail and water everywhere they went for 40 years. And if you recall, it also said that their clothes did not wear out, their shoes did not wear out. And so for 40 years, everything is working right. They're not having to sew new clothes. They're not having to replace their clothes. They're not having to replace their shoes. They're being fed every morning and every evening. They've got plenty of water. And what did they do? They started taking God for granted. It is so easy for us to, and God is blessing, to take him for granted and say, God, where are you? Where are you because we haven't seen you working? In our day, it, would, it can be very easy to say, God, where are you when we look around us and see all of the trials and tribulations? And if that's what we focus on, then we start saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Yeah. Did you get lost? <laughs> you know, did you take a nap somewhere, God? And God's saying, I'm right here. And imagine what things would be like if God was not here giving us blessings. 
And we need to keep in member, remembering to go to him and say, God, you are here. And remember, verse 3 says, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And this word literally is separated, separated to the Lord. God had delivered them. He had rescued them out of Egypt. He had delivered them through the wilderness. He led them through the wilderness with a pillar of, of cloud and a pillar of fire. When he stayed, they stayed. When he moved, they moved. He fed them every day, every night. And he says, you were separated unto the Lord. We as Christians are separated unto God. And we need to really start understanding what that means to be separated. Israel, was their signs for their separation was the laws that God put into them. The one that separated them the most as far as people were concerned was the Sabbath day. Every seventh day, they rested. They did not work. People thought they were crazy. Even until recent years, I mean, it's not been that far back that people worked seven days a week and didn't take any time off. And anybody who took a day off was lazy. You need a day off, and Israel took a day off every week. And there were many people that considered them a lazy people because it didn't make any sense to them, but that was God's sign. Then he gave them all the other laws, but those other laws weren't that far removed from the rest of the world. Uh, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't, don't commit uh, adultery, don't, you know, don't bear false witness. Those were not far-fetched. The rest of the world had those ones. But the idea that there was only one God and that you were to honor the Sabbath day was very foreign to the rest of the world. Most of the world had multiple gods. And this whole, whole idea, and, and we don't, in, in our day and age, we don't recognize how strange it was to them to have one God. Number one, we've grown up in America where we've had one God. So we don't have this idea of having many gods and, and everything. It's starting to become an issue. But for Israel, they lived in a land where people had multiple gods. When Christianity started, Rome had a whole bunch of gods. So when they would come to court and you know, say, well, I follow the God, they go, which God are you following? The God, the one and only God. Well, they, they thought they were absolutely crazy. Uh, you, you followed Zeus or Mars or Athena you know, or, or Apollo. You didn't follow, you know, you didn't just say there was one and only one God. And a matter of fact, many of the Romans would have said, well, we follow Caesar. Caesar says he's God. We're, we're going we're to follow him. And then the Christians come along and say, we're following the God, the one God. And it's a huge step. Now, we're starting to see, and this is one of the things about it. When we talk in America about, to people about God, we need to first off make sure we're talking about the same person. Even to quote-unquote Christians sometimes, they make up their own God. I've heard people say, well, I follow God. He's a God of love. Well, you're right. God is a God of love. But what about his righteousness, his holiness, his, his mercy, his, his justice? Well, I, I just want to believe that he's a God of love. That means I can do whatever I want to do is what they're telling you. Because he is so loving, he'll just ignore everything else. They make up their own God and do not follow the God of the Bible. There are other people, they, make, they follow God who's angry and, and vicious and doesn't love them. That's, again, not the God of the Bible who loves us so much he died for us. We need to be able to understand we follow God as he is, not as we want him to be. 
And this is one thing we need to make sure when we're talking about people. Well, I've heard people, well, they, they're really righteous. They, they love God. And then I've talked to them and go, well, they might love God, but it's not the God of the Bible. You know, we need to be more discerning. What is it that people are saying when they say, I love God? Uh, what are they saying when they say, I believe in Jesus? You know, this is something that's very important. When they say, I believe in Jesus, what are they talking about? Because if you're talking to certain groups, uh, Jesus is just a good prophet. They believe he existed, they believe he's alive, but he's just a prophet. Other groups deny that he, that he was just a man. He wasn't even a good prophet, he was just a man. Other groups say he just didn't exist at all. You've got another, another cult out there that says that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan. You know, he is just a God, not, not the son of God, but he is one of the gods. We need to make sure what do people mean when they're saying these words because Satan is good about taking our words and redefining them in other, in other religions and, and other groups. And we just go, oh, you believe in Jesus? Oh, great, wonderful. And we need to make sure that we understand what it is they are actually talking about. Because otherwise, we get all excited. You know, they, talk, they believe in Jesus. Uh-huh. What Jesus? Who is Jesus? What do they actually believe in? And the terms are being used all the time in the wrong ways. Is that why he asked his, uh, his disciples, who, who, do they say who do you say that I am? Yeah, and then he, asked, he asked two questions. Who do you say I am? Oh, who do the, who do the people say I am? And then who do you say I am? Right. Probably. Same, same type of thing. What are people saying about me? Who, do, who, who are you saying? And we can use that same. Who is Jesus? When you're telling me about Jesus, who is Jesus? Who is God that you're talking about? Because too many times people are making up their own, their own God, their own, their own definition of Jesus, their own religion. He's the Son of God who died for your, died for your sins and, and rose again. Anything less than here, they're not talking about the same Jesus. He's got to be God. And even when they say Son of God, I want to make sure that they really recognize that he is God. All right, Because Son of God starts getting you into this polytheistic ideas that some of these places have. So we really want them to be able to identify what it is they truly believe in because there is so much out there that is not true. We have an entire uh, group out there, it's called designer religion, where they pick the best parts of whatever religions they want and make up their own religion. Well, I like this part of Zen, I like this part of Buddhism, I like this part of Islam, I like these parts of Christianity, and they mix them all together and make their own religion. And they think they're doing good. They are being pluralistic. I'm, I'm, I'm being parts of everything. What are they really doing? I am God. I get to decide what what is right and what is wrong. I don't like these other parts, I get rid of them. I like these parts, I take them. And what are they really doing? They're raising themselves up to be God. Now, they won't, they won't accept that, but that is what they're doing. Uh, and I've said many times, I have more respect for somebody who follows a religion in its entirety, full-heartedly, than I do these people who pick and choose what they want to believe. Because at least they're pinning their hope on something. They're pinning it on the wrong something, but they at least are pinning their saying, I'm saying, well, I am going to be 
a Buddhist, a Muslim, a, a Hindu, you know, or whatever it is, and putting their whole trust in that religion says, I have respect for that. I'm going to tell them, you know, why they're wrong and why they need to follow Jesus, but I still have respect for that rather than somebody mixing them all together and coming out with this hodgepodge of everything they want to believe. Because they're not even admitting that there's a God. They're wanting to say, I am God, and make their, their own choices. And they, that is a very big problem. And so here he's saying, you were holy. You were separated. You were the first fruits of his increase. The Jews were the chosen people of God. The first ones. Christians will be, come along, will be the second part of that chosen generation. The Jews were supposed to include the whole world into their, into their uh, celebrations, and they isolated themselves. They literally took this holiness and said, okay, we're going to be separate from everybody else, and if they really want to be one of us, then they can, they can come and beg us to be one of them, but we're not going to go to them. And all through the, the laws, God said, these are the laws for you and for those that dwell in your land. You know, he, didn't, he never wanted a separation like the, the Jews put together. And this is why when we as Christians come along, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and in the name of the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit going out and bringing everybody into God because the Jews refuse to do it. They're going, we're separate. God gave us these rules and we're going to keep to ourselves and, and not be able to bring others in. And they did. They isolated themselves and, and kept others at a, at a distance, put up big signs in the temple saying, no Gentiles beyond this point on pain of death. Uh, and working at keeping it totally separate. And God said in the second half of verse 3, all that devour him shall be held uh, offend or be held guilty. And evil shall come upon them. So God says when anybody comes against Israel, they will be held guilty. And that is the, what was given to Abraham right from the beginning. Those that bless you shall be blessed. Those who curse you shall be cursed. That still goes because it was unconditional promise to Israel. Even when Israel does not deserve God's blessings, God still defends them because of his promise to Abraham. And Israel today is not following after God. It's not really a godly nation when you look at some of the things. I, I heard some of the stupid things that they were approving in their, in their courts. Huh? They don't recognize God. They don't recognize God at this point in time. They, and it's very strange when you, when you listen to them because they will tell you basically that they're atheists, but they, they're living in the land that God gave them. They're, they're a contradiction. But it's not unusual. In today's world, people speak contradictions all the time. In this whole world where there is no right and wrong, there is no absolute truth, people will give you things that are diametrically opposed in the same breath. You know, it's really hot day out there, and it's really, really cold, and I froze. You know, it's, it's really dry out there. I needed my umbrella to keep the rain off me. And you're going, which is it? Both. 
and I'm being a little facetious there, but I mean, they will tell you, they, they will tell you that life is very, very precious to them and then go and abort and, 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 and allow abortion, the killing of life. But don't kill those eagles. Don't kill those, those baby turtles and snails and anything else. Don't kill the cows for food, but you'll go out and kill the babies. You'll, you'll allow euthanasia and kill the, kill the older people so they don't use up all the inheritance of the, of the family as they get sick. But you really think life is important. And these kind of statements are made all the time by the world. And here God is, is making a statement. He goes, anybody that offends you, that, uh, that devours you or uh, hurts you will be held guilty because it's an unconditional promise to Abraham. And even to this day, with Israel not following after God, not honoring God as a nation, God still blesses them and honors those that bless them and curses those who curse them. And we've seen this all through history over and over again. Nations that come against Israel get judged. Those that bless Israel get blessings. And so God is saying all of this, and he goes, and evil shall come on them. So here he's making this statement, you were blessed, you were, you were protected. Those who come against you are going to be, are going to be guilty, are going to, be, are going to uh, have evil come upon them. But then later on he's going to say, but God is going to judge you. God is going to judge you and he's going to use these nations to judge you and then they're going to pay for their judgment, you know, they're, they're coming against you. Over and over again through history we have seen this happen to Israel that they have gone into disobedience and had God bring judgment on the nation that brings that punishment on them. And we're, he's saying, remember, you were special. You are special. Not even that you were. By his grace and his mercy, you are special still. And when God calls us, he does not just say, well, I'm done with you. God's gifts and calling are without repentance. If God calls you, he's got a plan for you. And that plan stays. You may take years to get it to, to answer the call, but he's got a call and he's got a plan for you and he's going to make it happen. And here he is with Israel going through this. I've got this plan for you. Verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? What are, what, uh, that, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and become vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through the land that no man passed through and where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But you, when you entered, you defiled my land and made my her heritage an abomination. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. So here's God's accusation to Israel. Hear the word of the Lord. And this word in Hebrew literally means hear and obey. 
So Jeremiah is calling on them, hear what's being said and plan on obeying. And how many times do we even do the same thing? We read the Bible, we hear a message, and we have forgotten it before we even walk out the door or even get up from the chair because we were not hearing to obey. I've done this many times myself. I know, I know it's easy to do. You're going through and you know that you just heard something fantastic and before you even you know, get out of what you're doing, you're going, what, what was it that I heard? What was it that I read? We're not listening with the idea of obedience. And here, Jeremiah is saying, hear to obey the word of the Lord. O house of Jacob and you families of the house of Israel. So in other words, children of Israel, pay attention. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? That they are gone far from me. So he's saying, what did I do wrong? Tell me what I have done wrong, he's saying. What evil, what iniquity did, did you all find in me? Now, this is a statement that nobody other than God could ever ask. <laughs> because all of us have done evil you know, somewhere in our life. But God is saying, tell me where, where I have wronged you. Tell me where I have not done what's right for you. Even when you didn't deserve it, I did what was right for you, and I gave you grace, and I gave you mercy. Even when I had to bring discipline on you, it was what was right. It was not, it was not evil. He says, have, you know, talk to, you, talk to the, your older family's members. Where, what have I done wrong that they are gone from me? Israel had departed from God for many, many generations at this point. From Basically from Solomon on, Israel had followed idols and had built these temples and altars and everything to other gods. And God is saying, tell me, what is it, what is it that I've done wrong? What is, what is it that I have caused you to want to leave me? I've been a, been a good husband, a good God to you, and you are walking away from me. You abandoned me, and this is God's challenge. Tell me what I have done wrong. What is he trying to get them to do? Remember. Remember, and as you start thinking about God, you're going to think about all the things that he had done because you're trying to figure out what he did, hasn't done for you, and it would be very difficult. Now, we can come up with all kinds of things that we might think God didn't do for us because he didn't act in the way we think he should have acted. How many times did we get disappointed because God didn't do what we wanted him to do? And, you know, one of the things about being disappointed, you cannot be disappointed unless you have an expectation that isn't met. And the problem is our expectations aren't always godly. God, I want you to give me a big house on the mansion and nice cars and, and no problems in my life. And when God doesn't give us a big mansion and, and cars, that, cars that have no problems and, and no problems in our life, we get upset with him. Now, nowhere in the Bible did he say that's what he was going to do for us. But our expectations, why do we get angry at people? They don't live up to the expectations that we have of them. And that is our problem. They go, well, they didn't do such and such. Well, were they supposed to? Well, I wanted them to. And then we get mad at them because they didn't meet our expectations. 
were maybe not mad, disappointed. They, they didn't you know, meet our expectations. Why do people have problems in their marriage? Their spouse does not meet their expectations. The, the woman comes in thinking that she's just married Prince Charming and is going to sweep her off her feet and give her a little life of luxury. And he gets married expecting three meals and clothes and, and a clean house. And their expectations are unreasonable and they're disappointed with each other because they're not getting their expectations met. And we need to be very careful because why do some people have problems with the church? Because they expect churches to do certain things. And if the church doesn't do exactly what they think, what they were expecting, then they'll get upset. And this is something that is here, and God is saying, what are your charges against me? You have walked after vanity, emptiness. God says, you have left me, the one that can give you everything, to follow vanity, emptiness. And the next thing he goes, and are become vain yourselves. Now, this is something I want to to talk about for just a moment. The scriptures very clearly indicate that we become like what we worship. In uh, Psalm 115, verses uh, uh, 4 through 8, it talks about that we are made like unto him and that, that we become like him. The more we follow God, the more we draw close to God, the more we will become like him. Uh, Psalm 135, uh, verses 15 and 18 says that they became like the idols that they worshipped. So if they worship idols, they become like the idols. When they were worshipping the Astoroth, the goddess of fertility, they became licentious and adulterers and fornicators. They became like the idol that they followed. When they followed all the other gods, they would become like that god. When they followed God, they would become like God, showing mercy and honor and graciousness and having that power that is involved with us. In Romans 1.23, it says that they are changed into the incorruptible things that they followed. So when we follow, or excuse me, corruptible in that case, and then he says you become incorruptible. Uh, so we become what we worship. And this is very important for us. How can we tell that somebody truly is saved and are worshiping God? We will start seeing the love of Christ coming out of them. We'll start seeing the mercy of God being revealed to, to, through them. We'll see the graciousness of God being revealed through them. Perfectly? No. But in greater and greater degrees, we will see them become like God, to be developed into that spirit that is precious. And this is one of the things I look for. When people are saying, I'm a Christian, and I watch their life, I want to see, are they truly becoming more like God? Is their worship truly in him? And being able to see, all right, this person is really growing. They yeah, I remember a year ago, they would, not have, they, would, they would have been upset when somebody said that. They, they just showed love. They just showed grace. They just showed mercy. And you're going, all right, they're changing. From glory to glory, he's changing me, we're told in, in Corinthians. 
And that change goes to greater and greater depths. Uh, when we worship God, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're changed to glory in our worship. Uh, John, 1 John 2.6, it says when we walk with him, we become like him. In other words, we worship him, we walk with him, we become like him. Jesus told the disciples that the mark of the disciples, they say, you will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Do we truly love the body of Christ? When I come across people who do not love the body of Christ, I have trouble believing that they are truly Christians because we should have a love for God's bride because that is what he says. Uh, uh, Colossians 3.10 says that we are a new image, a new, new, we are in the image of him, we become the image of him. So all of these things, what do we worship? We will become like what we worship. We will become like what we hang around. Uh, you know, we even birds of a feather flock together motif, you know, and it's like, uh, and we would tell our kids, you know, hey, you're hanging out with the bad crowd that you will, you will be infected by that bad crowd. Who do you hang out with? Who you spend your time with becomes very evident. You know, am I walking with God and becoming more like him or am I walking with the world and becoming more like the world? And we can tell by our attitudes. And I hear it from most everybody in this room all the time. You know, when I do something and it's wrong, God convicts me and, and I can't, can't get away with it. I know that it's wrong. That's good. I love hearing that kind of thing. Last thing I want to do, well, you know what? I have no problem, you know, going and seeing these types of movies or reading these types of books or, you know, hanging out with this crowd and doing this kind of activities, you know, and you're going, well, those are not really good godly activities. Well, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm not bothered. God's not convicting me. It's okay. I think you need to hang out more with God so that you'll get convicted. <laughs> and I'm not going to say they're not Christians, but there's no mark of being a Christian and godly person when you're not following after him. There has to be this place where I say is, I cannot do after the world and feel like I'm getting away with it. God's standards are so much higher than the world. He tells us so many things, and the world will say, well, you know, it's okay to get divorced because, after all, God wants you to be happy. You're not happy with that person. It's good. You need to get rid of it. God says, I hate divorce period. You know, and even with Israel, it says, where's the divorcement paper I gave you? I've never divorced you, Israel. You're treating me like I have, but I never got rid of you. I have every right, every reason to, but I have not gotten rid of you. He shows his love by staying constant. And that doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean that anything at all on that. It just means that we need to say, are we going to do things God's way? Which is why it's important that if we're looking for counsel, that we go get godly counsel and make sure that what they're telling us isn't something that sounds good. Unfortunately, most of the time when we go get counseling, you know, get counsel from somebody, what are we trying to do? Uh, just uh, who, who's going to tell me what I want to hear and, and, and agree with me and go talk to them? We seek out false prophets to tell us the wrong things because we want itchy ears that says, I just want you to agree with me. 
And believe me, I've had many times when I tell people, this is what God says about the word. Well, I'm not sure I can. That doesn't apply to me. Well, if God's word doesn't apply to you, then I don't know what standard to use for you. Because whether I like it or not, God's word applies to everything that I do and every bit of advice that I do. And I can't say I always give the right advice, but I try very hard to make sure my advice is godly advice, which oftentimes isn't what people want to hear. And then they'll pull away because they're not hearing what their ears. And we were told in the end days that people would have itchy ears wanting to hear what they wanted to hear. And we're seeing more and more of that. When you talk about what the Bible says, oh, don't give me that old book. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to hear that. Give me, give me good counsel. I did, I did. I gave you what the Bible says. It's the best counsel I can give you. And many times they'll pull away not wanting to hear what God says. Jeremiah is preaching to a, to a nation that doesn't want to hear what God says. And he's going to struggle with it. He's going to give them God's word and they're going to, they're going to abuse him over and over again. And that happened to most of the prophets. Because people do not want to hear what God says. They always had itchy ears. Just tell me what I want to hear. And I've even had people tell me, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. I'm going, well, I am really sorry that it's not what you want to hear, but this is what God says in his word. Whether you like it or not, I cannot change his word. And this is something that's very important for us. And he says you become like what you walked after. You walked after vanity and you became vain. You became empty. You walked after emptiness and you became empty. You lost the fruit of the spirit. You've lost the blessings of God because you walked away to emptiness. And how many times do we in our lifetime walk into emptiness and then wonder why we're so empty? We're not following after God. We're not reading his word. We're not, we're not seeking after him with our whole heart. And then we wonder why our life feels so empty. And, you know, and I hear it all the time at the prison. There's most of the people out there, the employees out there even, they're all empty. They have nothing to enjoy in life. Even the handful that say they're Christians still are so consumed with the way the world thinks that you never hear them say anything positive. Never talk about what they learned in church. Never talk about God. Never talk about the blessings of church. It's all gloom and despair and oh, woe is me. And it's like, would you please just look at what God has done and Follow after him. Don't follow after the empty, vain things. But it's so easy. It is easy to do if we're not devoted to God. And, it's, and we've all been there. We've all been there where we've taken a week off of church or two weeks or three weeks or a year <laughs> and then wonder, you know, why nothing seems to be going the way it's supposed to go because we're not following after God. And God says, okay, you don't want to follow after me? I'll just take some of the blessings away from you. I'll take your joy away from you. And then we wonder, what's going on? And hopefully we remember and come back. Verse 6 says, Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness in the land of de deserts and of pits, in a land of drought and a shelter of the, in the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwells? They've gone so far from God that they don't go back and say, where 
is the Lord. Because as soon as you start remembering all these other things, and he goes, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? All right, that's a great blessing. He took them out of Egypt. That is the seminal point for the Jewish people. They were delivered from Egypt. It is still remembered and practiced in Israel to this day with the Passover festival. Passover is all about reminding them that they were delivered from Egypt when they were in bondage. So every year they remember the deliverance from Egypt. And God constantly in the word and the prophets kept going, remember your deliverance. It was easy for them. They were supposed to be remembering it every year. Now, there were times when they didn't <laughs> in, the, in the old days. Uh, he says, remember, and it led you through the wilderness. He's going, all right, not, you know, let's get you. We're, I took you and I delivered you from Egypt. You were slaves and bondage. I sent the ten plagues on, e on Egypt. I destroyed Egypt. I s took you out of Egypt. I put you through the Red Sea, and I, and I drowned Pharaoh's army. Remember. Remember the great blessing when I made you a nation. Not only that, I led you through a wilderness. Through the deserts, a land of deserts and of pits. In other words, he's saying there was a lot of dangers that I walked you through. And you know, when you think about this, walking through the desert. Now we live in the high desert, which isn't really kind of what he's talking about. They're talking about the low desert, which is mostly sand. With lots of empty spaces between watering holes. And God says, I led you through the deserts. I watered you. I fed you. You didn't have to go from oasis to oasis, and each oasis would not have handled a million, you know, three and a half million people. So he says, I took care of you. I led you through all of these deserted areas, and then I loved, uh, and through a land of drought, little, 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 and no rain, the desert, you know, low, low rain, so it wasn't they were being watered by rain. And through the shadow of death. All the time that they were in the wilderness, on one side of their minds, you know, think about this. You're in the desert. Nobody really knows where you're going. You're following this cloud and this pillar. What faith do you have to have every single day? Wherever we go, we don't know where we're at. We don't know how to get around. If, if that pillar and that, and that uh, cloud disappeared, and we're not being led, everything goes. If there's no manna out there in the morning, we're not going to eat. If that rock stops giving water, we have no water. It took faith to walk this walk. And yet people took it for granted after a period of time because it was always there. It stopped becoming faith. And God has said, remember, nobody's asking where this God is, where this God is uh, through a land that no man passes through, where no man dwell. In other words, I'm taking you through places, I'm providing for you, and there are places where people don't live and abide. They pass through. And God would set them up and give them water and give them food in the middle of nowhere. And he's going, I led you through all these places where nobody could live because I provided for you. And he's going, 
This is all I did. Do you remember? Why are you remembering? And this is this accusation. He goes, nobody is saying, where is the God that did all these things? They are saying, where is God? But they're not remembering what God has done. And then he goes, and he even goes even further in verse 8. The priests say not, where is the Lord? All right? So he says, the priests aren't even saying, here's the Lord. They're not doing their job. They're just, they're going through, huh? Yeah, you, you defiled. Whoops, you're right, I didn't. Sorry. Verse 7. I brought you into a plentiful country to eat fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. So in other words, he brought him into the promised land. And literally this word for plentiful is a garden land. I brought you into a garden land. And if you remember the description when, when uh, Moses sends the, the spies into the land, they come back and say, it's a wonderful land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. They bring a cluster of grapes on a, on a pole between two men. They talk about the, the melons and everything. that they, they, you know, they bring samples, and they're huge. It was a beautiful garden land. And he goes, all of this is wonderful except for one problem. There's giants. <laughs> There's giants in the land that are, will devour us. And they refuse to go in. And then when they finally do go in, 40 years later under J- Joshua... As soon as they cross the river Jordan, God says, now you eat the land of the promised land. There was abundance of fruit, abundance of grains to keep them, keep three and a half million people fed without the manna and quail. And it stopped the day they entered into the, into the promised land. And he says, the land that I've promised you will keep you a garden a garden so full that it could feed all the people. He says, I gave you all of that and, and uh, the goodness thereof, but when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. They stopped obeying God, and God destroyed the land for their sake. And it's very interesting that God has judged Israel over and over. And the really interesting thing is right now, Israel is the bread basket of Europe. That little tiny country, no bigger than, than New Jersey, produces enough uh, fruit, vegetables, grains, and everything else under the sun to feed and maintain all of the Middle East and Europe. But since they Should, but most of them don't. I mean, because for that little, because in the Bible, says he's always going to protect it no matter what. Most of them look and say, look how smart we are. We have, we have increased our crop production. We have found enough water. They, they, share, they have more water than they need, and they share with the entire Middle East, you know, which is quite interesting. The Middle East wants to destroy Israel, but they're the one that keeps the Middle East watered and everything else, and fed, and, they, and, they, and those nations want to destroy them. They're just 
part of it is a lot of it is family issues that are going deep-rooted family issues. And most of it is Satan stirring up any kind of grievances and troubles uh, to, you know, and the idea is if we can get rid of them, then we get to have their, their, their prosperity, which it would just dry up if, they, if, it did, if it did happen, it would dry up, but they don't recognize it. When Israel went back to the promised land, promised land in 1948, it, the land was given to them, but the Israelites bought most of the land from the, from, the Jew, from, the, from the Arabs that lived there. And they sold them the land at exorbitant prices because they were selling them swamp land. It was nothing but a bunch of swamp land, and they, and they thought they had taken the, those, these crazy Jews that were paying high dollars for these you know, pieces of land that Israel drained and turned into great farmland. And now they want it all back. And they forget that they sold it to them and they're going, they stole it. And they all, they, they literally have all the paperwork and everything saying that they bought the land. It was never stolen. It was, you know, given to them and they've, you know, tried to say that all this land is stolen from them. But they have overlooked, and it is a short-sighted thing because if they destroy Israel, they destroy all of the benefit that Israel has been giving the, the nation and the world. And now we'll go, after they made an abomination, now we'll go, the, the priests do not say, where is the Lord? How insensitive. The priests are doing everything by rote activity. They go to the temple, the people bring the offering in, they cut the offering, they, they read, and they say their obligatory prayer from their prayer book, and they, burn, and they burn the offering. But they're not bringing people to the Lord. He goes, uh, they that handle the law know me not. The Levites that are supposed to be the ones teaching the law to the people. They don't know God. In Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, for the most part, did not know God. They knew the laws, they knew the rules, they knew the, the things they were supposed to do, but they did not know God. And then he goes, uh, the pastors have transgressed against me. The shepherds, the ones that are supposed to care for the people, are transgressing against God. They're, they're living in sin themselves. And then he goes, and the prophets prophesied by Baal. <laughs> he goes, they're, they're not even prophets of me that, are, that people are listening to. And this is, we see this all through Kings and Chronicles and, and, all, and even in Jeremiah. And they, they would go and they would prophesy and then several false prophets would get, get up and prophesy against them in, in, other, in the names of other gods. In the king's palace. The, the prophet of God would speak and these others would say, you're not speaking the truth, you're lying. And one of the things that's very interesting to contemplate, in the Bible and all through history, the majority is often wrong. When God stands up and we stand for God, we are almost always going to be in the minority. And then we look at history and and mobs and, and oftentimes are wrong. They're not living by God. They're not following God. They're not speaking for God. They're speaking after the flesh. And when these prophets would come into, these, into the court, 
it would often be one prophet of God against five, six, seven, ten, a dozen, a hundred false prophets. And they would say, thus saith the Lord. And these other guys would say, no, it's not true. And the king then had to go, who's speaking the truth? This whole mob of people here, the mob can't be wrong, can they? Over and over again, we see mobs are wrong. This is one of the problems that we have with a democratic system of governments. Oftentimes, the majority is wrong. And when we, and I'd like, I, don't get me wrong, I like our democracy. I like being a demo, you know, democracy rather than, than a dictatorship. But I'm also historically savvy enough to recognize that oftentimes in a democracy, the majority makes bad decisions. And we see this over and over again all through history, not just the United States, but every democracy that's ever existed has the same problem. The majority goes after what is good for them and not the country. And as soon as you get to that point, a democracy is over. A good democracy is over, and our country is already at that point. We have politicians who buy the votes by promising, you know, a chicken in every pot, the, your, your free, free health care, we're going to get rid of your education debt, we're going to get rid of this debt, we're going to get rid of that debt. Oh, by the way, we're just going to give you income for, because you're alive. And they buy the votes. And once you get to that point and people are voting for what's good for their pocketbook instead of what's good for the country, the country's debt over. We, we may still have several decades left, but the country is over as a country. We're becoming less and less relevant to the world because we're doing more and more voting on what is good for us instead of what's good for the country. And this is the whole thing that he's talking about. They walk after things that do not profit in the long run. Yes, I might get some money in my pocket today, but where will my country be in a period of time? Our country is trillions of dollars in, in debt. We have so much debt, we'll never pay it off without taking every penny that everybody makes, and then nobody will work because they're, they're not getting any money in the long run. So this country is broke and is going to fall apart. Now, when? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the prophet. I'm just saying, historically, we're broke, and we are falling apart, and we must fall apart. How long? I think it's going to be sooner than later. But we, we are looking at this. But where is our hope? My hope is in the God that walks through the shadow of, of death. My hope is in the God that walks with us in the wilderness. My hope is with the God that delivers even when everything falls apart and he is my only hope, I'm looking forward to watching what he does, how he will deliver, how he will meet the needs and be able to stand for us in spite of all that's going on. We're going to end there because I went over the time. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Help us to walk with you. Help us to trust you in all that we do and to remember you, to seek after you so that we will be like you, that we will worship you and become more and more like you with each passing day. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. 
God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.